This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another exciting edition of Sovereign BTC, your guide to the practical side of everyday Bitcoin use. That's right, folks. This is the 17th episode. I want to thank you for tuning in. In today's program, we're going to bring you some news and views from some various Bitcoin news outlets. It's so exciting to see the Bitcoin ecosystem grow, and I'm so excited for Coindesk, News BTC, Crypto Coin News, Bitcoin Magazine, the whole slew of wonderful media journalistic outlets that are providing you daily coverage on what's taking place and the growth of the Bitcoin network. So we're just going to bring you some news. Stuff's happening so fast. We're going to hit you with some stories about Roger Ver, about Charlie Shrem, about Made Safe. We're going to talk about Mike Adams flipping his script, the health ranger of naturalnews.com. And the most popular websites on the internet. He flipped his script, ladies and gentlemen. He's now apparently a Bitcoin fan. We're going to chat about Darkcoin, a little in depth discussion on Darkcoin, the anonymous coin that is now overcame Peercoin for the third highest market cap out of all altcoins. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting news for privacy, financial privacy, protecting your wealth, protecting your sovereignty. We're going to chat about dark coin, all sorts of good stuff. And then to end the program, we're going to bring you an exclusive sneak peek listen to some clips from Sovereign Living Episode 4, the Bitcoin episode. Yes, folks, it's going to be pretty cool. We chat with Dr. Robert Murphy of the Mises Institute, Drew Phillips of Bitcoin Not Bombs, and Eric Voorhees, formerly of Satoshi Dice. Uh, Eric Voorhees has a lot of great stuff to say and some really good insights. So Sovereign Living is an educational reality program put on by the Center for Natural Living. Uh, We used a lot of Bitcoin donations actually to fund half of Episode 4, and we want to use this as a tool to demonstrate to people that there's a different way to live, a way that isn't dependent on centralized or coercive institutions. We talk about farming, gardening, natural birthing, solving community problems without relying on the police, digital currency, all sorts of good stuff, self-sufficiency. Episodes 5 and 6 will be premiered at Porcupine Freedom Festival. So I wanted to include this here in the program at the end of May because in June my family and I will be driving all the way up to Porkfest. We're going to be stopping at Bitcoin destinations on the way. My wife will be live blogging via Bitcoin Magazine. I'll be uh, including tidbits and interviewing people along the way as we cruise across America to include in this podcast. So I want to invite everyone out to Porcupine Freedom Festival. I think it's taking place June 20th through the 28th. This will be the 11th annual Porcupine Freedom Festival. So if you want to learn more, check out porkfest.com or freestateproject.org. It's going to be like 1,500 Liberty enthusiasts. You'll be surrounded by Bitcoin supporters as well. We're going to try to bring a Bitcoin ATM out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I want to include this as a little teaser. Check out SovereignLiving.tv if you want to watch Episode 1 for free online. Or if you want to buy Episodes 1, 2, and 3, you can get a DVD sent to you for about $20 or $25. Maybe you can buy Bitcoin. Yes, we're using BitPay in order to take orders for that. Ship it out to you as soon as we can. So... I want to thank you for tuning into this program. I want to invite you to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash SovereignBTC. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash SovBTC. And be sure you check out the website, SovereignBTC.com. Without further ado, we're going to break down some news and views for you. Here we go. Charlie Shrem is no longer under 24-hour house arrest. There's a story published in Coindesk. Coindesk.com, Charlie Shrem, a Bitcoin entrepreneur facing federal money laundering charges, is no longer under 24-hour house arrest. 
Shrem still has restrictions related to his legal situation that include a curfew and limits on his ability to travel. But the modification allows the 24-year-old to pursue work opportunities provided he does not leave New York. Now, he's able to head out during the day, Sunday through Thursday, no Friday, Saturday partying, I guess, or maybe that's when they think all the shady deals get made, between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. He's restricted to the geography of New York City, not just New York State, but New York City, and he has to keep wearing a GPS monitoring device. So while this is good news, he has more freedom relative to the freedom he had before. It's still pretty wild to think about a you know a man a sovereign being just completely held down and tied down by the state and the real sad part about it is these were the terms that he agreed to as part of the bail his bail was one million dollars arrested on february 27th at new york's laguardia airport oh, he's been under house arrest ever since of course many people are familiar he was indicted on april 15th along with the alleged co-conspirator robert faella also known as btc king They are charged with operating an unlicensed money-transmitting business and one count of money laundering, one count of willful failure to file a suspicious activity report, folks. There you go. So just be aware, if you're in one of these money-transmitting businesses or if you sign any type of license, if you agree to this license, you're automatically putting yourself into a system where you have agreed to follow all sorts of terms and all sorts of rules and regulations, and it's a very dangerous place to be. On the flip side, it's dangerous to do such activities without having the license, the permission slip, really. But it just goes to show how little freedom we really have in this country. And unfortunately, uh, Charlie Shrem is caught up in a lot of this mess. It's the very beginning of the cryptocurrency world, and the cryptocurrency history books are being written. And it's unfortunate to see this young man, this brilliant young man, being run through the gauntlet. Um, Perhaps they're trying to make an example out of him. But if you ask me, these two gentlemen, Robert and Charlie, did nothing wrong. No victim, no crime. Even if they are guilty of money laundering or failure to file a suspicious activity report, they haven't done anything wrong. Even if they did participate or turn the cheek when they knew that money was being used for the Silk Road, they did nothing wrong. And on that note, Ross Ulbricht, whether he is the alleged founder and operator of the Silk Road, the Dread Pirate Roberts. Whether he is or not, he shouldn't be locked in a cage, man. This is terrible stuff, and I don't know whether this is good news or bad news, but of course it's anytime there's an increase in freedom for someone, we're going to celebrate it. So kudos to you, Charlie Shrem. I hope you can get uh, back on your feet and enjoy the relative freedom that you are enjoying on the flip side here, we have Roger Ver becomes target of hack attempt. Attacker eventually backs down. This is from News BTC. Perhaps you saw this rolling around on the social media and the interwebs. Bitcoin Jesus Roger Ver has apparently been the target of a major hack attempt, according to posts he's put on social media websites, Facebook and Twitter. I wonder how often this guy gets targeted for hacking. If there's a, you know very public and prominent figures, everyone knows he's probably holding on to a pretty significant amount of Bitcoin. I bet he's probably got some serious security going on. Uh, The story says uh, it started with him posting on Facebook and Twitter, declaring an emergency. He says, I need to contact Patrick Karjaturian right now. Totally butchered that last name. He says, if anyone has his contact info and knows where he lives, please wake him up now. Five exclamation points, ladies and gentlemen. Five exclamation points. Please have him call me ASAP. Three exclamation points. He has my number. I assume Patrick is some sort of security expert or knows something. The update intrigued the members of the Bitcoin community, eager to find out more of what was going on. 
Shortly after, he posted again, I'm not fine, 10-point emergency, all my stuff is getting hacked, I need Patrick as soon as possible. So here's what Roger Bear does. He decides to take matters into his own hands and solicits the Bitcoin community to make an arrest on this hacker. Here's the exciting part here. He tweets, actually I think this is on Facebook, he goes ahead and, he goes ahead and posts, 37.6 BTC reward. That's around 20,000 US dollars for information leading to the arrest of the hacker who is trying to access all my stuff at the moment. Beware all of my accounts for the moment while I try to lock everything down. He's using the Skype ID of Nitrous. Well, Coindesk later reported, straight from Ver's mouth, uh, here's what they quoted, an email address and Facebook account I don't use anymore were hacked, but it started to spread until I told him I'm offering a $20,000 bounty for his arrest then he gave up and gave me the password to all the hacked accounts. I'll post all the details once I finish locking everything down, said Roger Ver. So it sounds like it started off like a, as a crisis, but Roger Ver decided I'm going to take this into my own hands. I don't know if there's even like a cybersecurity criminal division that someone could call or the FBI or whatever. I don't know that there's a law enforcement division that handles that. But the point is we don't need the state to do such things. You can reach out to the community. You can offer some value people want to take on the cause you can get your money protected and just i mean just the threat of someone coming and arresting or leading information to this person's arrest uh, led them to back down so i think that's great news and a wonderful example of sovereign living really taking matters into your own hands not relying on centralized institutions coercive institutions in order to solve your common problems next i want to talk about made safe m-a-i-d safe the made safe project there's news at a Coindesk that 500 developers have already signed up to participate in development for the MadeSafe project. Essentially, uh, MadeSafe, this is from the article, MadeSafe has the ambitions, ambitious aim of radically decentralizing all the web services that exist today. It's working on projects that include altcoin wallets, unlimited file storage and sharing applications, a decentralized music store, secure messaging applications, and a decentralized altcoin and fiat currency exchange. Essentially how it would work is these made safe coins, these safe coins as they call them, would reward users for allowing bandwidth and storage space to be accessed by this made safe network. So essentially it would create a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer internet, which if you ask me is really exciting. This has the opportunity to replace the internet service providers. So my background's in the liberty movement even before then. I was way into the conspiratorial view of history, still am, I might add. And there's been so many people that talk about, oh, President Obama now has an internet shutdown button. He can shut down the internet. I mean, first of all, that would be a mighty task to shut down the internet. There's not some central node that you just flip a switch and it's all, all done. Uh, you could lean and put pressure, political, even just coercion, mafia-style tactics, pressure the ISPs to stop allowing certain services or block certain websites. And this type of thing happens all the time. FBI comes in and seizes websites, and they usually do so by pressuring and leaning on these other companies. But even still, it doesn't seem like it would make much financial se sense unless there was a deeper conspiracy to completely destroy the U.S. economy, which there, I mean, there may be. But it doesn't make much sense for them to shut down the Internet because in turn they would be shutting down many of their own services. And they would make it more difficult for themselves to do business, not, not to mention all of the rich fat cat bankers and Wall Street execs that make millions and billions and that donate millions of dollars to their campaigns. It just doesn't make much sense. Uh, so I don't think that's possible. But nonetheless, if they tried, if they could, 
They would, potentially, uh, but not with this made safe project, not with SafeCoin, not with the Safe Network, which is an acronym, I might add, Secured Access for Everyone. The article goes on to explain a little bit more about the Safe Network. It says the Safe Network utilizes a blockchain-like technology to distribute file storage and services around the globe so that no single file relies on a single server or provider to exist. It's kind of like Torrent, BitTorrent, which many people are familiar with. Hard to shut it down. Essentially, the technology decentralizes, even breaks apart pieces of data and stores them all on everyone's computer participating in the network. So you can't shut it down. It's brilliant, and it just once again shows how wonderful this technology is and how it really is going to change the world and disrupt things. I'm always reminded of – this is something we covered on a previous episode when I was at the Texas Bitcoin Conference. I did a nice little in-depth coverage of the hackathon they did where they gave away like $1.25 million in prizes. Well, the second-place winner was a project, a team from Israel. They also participated with my buddy Mike Basic. He was on their team, and they created a decentralized blockchain GPS-based rideshare program. And I thought, man, that's really cool, but it reminded me of just a couple years back in the city of Austin when the Austin City Council, under the influence of the taxi cartel – yes, ladies and gentlemen, there's a banking cartel, there's a military-industrial complex, there's a pharmaceutical cartel – there's also a taxi cartel, and you can bet your bottom dollar if you live in a major city or even a mid-sized city, there's a taxi cartel at play there as well. Uh, they went and pressured the city, and they had the city shut down this startup application that was being operated by a corporation. You can pressure and lean on corporations and individuals, the individuals that operate corporations. Corporations are nothing more than a piece of paper, a fictional entity that exists in people's minds, but you can lean on those in charge of the corporation, those who control the corporation, and that's exactly what happened. The the de, the centralized rideshare application, the app for smartphones, never came to fruition because the taxi cartel had the city council shut it down. Well, I can't wait for this project to be finished. I don't go speak to the city council very often, but it would feel really good to inform them that because of the blockchain, baby, you can't shut this one down, so you can go shove it. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Apparently, there's a whole slew of different organizations that are now hopping on to get ready to start programming and developing applications and, and programs and software for the MadeSafe net network. They've been around since 2006, uh, longer than Bitcoin, the article says, and uh, they've attracted a fair share of controversy in that time. The recent slightly convoluted crowd sale of MadeSafe coins, many people may be familiar with that, offered an exchange rate favoring MasterCoin, allowing MasterCoin holders to dominate the sale and shut out many Bitcoin-holding buyers. Organizers had to step in and plead for order. It was quite uh, quite chaotic, but it sounds like they raised the money that they needed, and I'm super excited, no matter what took place during the crowd sale, uh, to utilize this technology. I think it's absolutely exciting, and it these are the type of technologies that are disruptive that will literally change the game. So give yourself a pat on the back if you're alive today. Obviously, you're alive today for listening to this program. But give yourself a pat on the back because uh, you should feel privileged to be alive at these times. We are seeing some really exciting things, and the world's being flipped upside down from centralized to decentralized. Power to the people, baby. Here's another article here. Germans, German Bitcoin tax proposal would sting merchants twice. Ah, yes. We love it when the state comes in to get their little... Greedy, grubby fingers on our wealth. How dare they? At least Bitcoin makes it harder for them to do so, but there's still going to be scores and scores and scores. I'm not going to call them dupes because I have sympathy for the man and sympathy for myself because, you know, 
sometimes it's hard to avoid the pressure and the coercion and the fear that's associated with not paying a tax. But nonetheless, there's going to be scores and countless of people that just diligently pay the man, file everything, no matter if the man can keep track of it or not. But here we see in Germany, looks like their tax proposal would actually hit the merchants twice, harder than in other places. Germany's Federal Ministry of Finance, the Budenstidministerium de Finanzien, totally botched that one, has published a new document suggesting that the commercial sale of bitcoins should be taxed. A development, local sources say, has the potential to greatly impact the use of digital currency as a payment method. Many people may be familiar that uh, Berlin in Germany is actually one of the really big hotbeds across the entire globe for Bitcoin. The article goes on to say the document issued in response to a parliamentary question submitted by Christian Democratic Union party member Dr. Tim Osterman states the commercial sale of Bitcoin is a miscellaneous service and thus needs to be taxed under German law. <laughs> Who is this guy, Dr. Tim Osterman, like going out of his way to tax Bitcoin? Like if you don't like it, don't use it and butt out. As a result of the potential decision, retailers who accept Bitcoin would be taxed twice during transactions, first on the sale of goods, and secondly when they seek to sell the Bitcoins they accepted in purchases. The news follows the decision by the UK, one of the only countries in Europe to have imposed a value-added tax on Bitcoin transactions to drop this policy amid pressure from local enthusiasts and interest groups. Now, the value-added tax in and of itself has got to be one of the biggest crocks of crap that I've ever heard. Like, the state just wants to tax you to death from every angle they can. And now, if you're not familiar with it, it's a tax on the profit that you make above the cost of a good. So let's say I have a widget, and it costs me $50 to make the widget or $50 to buy the widget wholesale. And now I'm going to sell the widget for $70. That's a nice little margin there. Well, they want to have a tax on that $20 profit that's on top of the cost that you paid for the product. On top of the sales tax, on top of the income tax, on top of all the taxes that you had to go through in order to do the manufacturing process on each one of the little independent pieces of the capital process, it's just a damn shame. But it is what it is, and thankfully we have technologies like Bitcoin that are coming in and changing the game. The article goes on to say, perhaps unsurprisingly, the decision was met with resistance by local trade group Bundesband Bitcoin, one of the newest additions to the Bitcoin Foundation's international affiliate program. In a lengthy response, the group announced the idea as one that would discourage the use of Bitcoin by traders and online merchants, writing, if this kind of taxation stands, it will hinder decentralized payment systems in Germany. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. More taxes, not cool, very uncool. Here's another story for you. The headline, Former U.S. Mint Chief, Bitcoin a Serious Challenge to Government Money. This one's written by Pete Rizzo. Edmund C. Moy, the former director of the U.S. Mint, the government body responsible for producing the country's physical coins, made waves in the Bitcoin community this week when he took to Twitter to voice his enthusiasm for digital currencies. Moy's comments were issued in response to the most recent $2.6 billion credit Swiss settlement in which the Switzerland-based banking giant pleaded guilty to helping clients evade taxes. Can't complain about that. Moy wrote on Twitter, Bitcoin and the ideas behind it will be a disruptor to the traditional notions of currency. In the end, currency will be better for it. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Especially for the statists out there, those who believe we need to have this centralized monopoly institution in order to maintain order and civility in society. Whenever there's competition, it's better for everyone, especially the consumer. Because these entities, these businesses... These institutions must compete for the favor of the consumer. 
And when there's just a big monopoly, like there is with the U.S. dollar, then it doesn't matter. Or there is with local municipal police departments. It doesn't matter the service they provide because everyone has to pay for it or use it anyway because there's coercive taxation over a geographic monopoly area, a geographic area, or because there's legal tender laws forcing you to use something that you may not necessarily use if it weren't for those legal tender laws. Yes, it's terrible. Perhaps most notably, Moy suggested that digital currencies can even help prevent some of the more severe drawbacks associated with fiat currencies. In particular, he predicts it will eliminate what he views as the government monopoly on money. Writing, it has a low risk of collapse like a sovereign government's currency. Just ask the Greeks or more broadly the European Union. That's right, folks. Moy acknowledged this is as a positive thing, even if he realized the innovation would likely threaten his former employer. He added, you can mine your own bitcoins, no mint needed. Moy was also enthusiastic about Bitcoin's potential to offer a new way for global consumers to transact, stating as a medium of exchange, Bitcoin offers several unique innovations to currency, global nature, infinite divisibility, and easy to carry. He called the old traditional transaction systems as archaic. He called them archaic, ladies and gentlemen, and he is spot on. So I'm going to go ahead and give a big kudos to Mr. Moy. Really appreciate his sentiment, Edmund Moy. I think we're going to see more mainstream economists and policymakers coming out in favor of Bitcoin, and it's a wonderful thing. And this gentleman's probably rather influential, so kudos to you, Mr. Moy. Here's another article. This one is actually out of naturalnews.com. Mike Adams, you may recall early on in one of the Sovereign BTC podcasts, we did a a piece refuting a hit piece that Mike Adams had put out against Bitcoin that was just full of all sorts of inaccuracies and errors. Well, sounds like Mike Adams finally came around. This is great news, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Bitcoin fan club, Mike Adams. The headline on Natural News, this is an article written by Mike Adams himself, once big major Bitcoin detractor, rethinking Bitcoin, Health Ranger acknowledges value of peer-to-peer cryptocurrency in age of impending debt collapse. I've been rethinking Bitcoin a lot lately, and I've decided I need to go public with some changes in my own thinking on this peer-to-peer cryptocurrency. As background, I first came out in favor of Bitcoin and its structure and its structure during its early growth years. I became alarmed at the sudden bubble of Bitcoin valuations a couple of years ago and warned people about price volatility. Famously, I warned people. It's a self-described famously, I might add. Famously, I warned people about the looming Bitcoin crash just 24 hours before its value crashed 50%. Since then, I've continued to warn people about price volatility and risk. But based on current events, which appear to be unfolding in the global banking cartels, what needs to be stated right now is that there is a massive unacknowledged volatility risk in all government currencies. In essence, the Fed is backed into a corner, must keep creating money to prevent the global debt collapse of the banking cartels, yet it realizes that by creating more money, it's creating a ticking time bomb that will sooner or later blow up and destroy the currency. So he goes on to say... With Bitcoin, acknowledged risk versus unacknowledged risk. What does all this have to do with Bitcoin? Well, now as the Bitcoin market has matured and holders of Bitcoin have more experience, they acknowledge there is an inherent valuation risk in holding Bitcoins. I think most pretty serious Bitcoin holders knew that from the get-go. Even Bitcoin proponents and proselytizers encourage new users to be very well aware of the price volatility and not to put too much of your earnings. Don't put more than you want to lose is what I always say than you're willing to lose. You don't want to put your son's college fund and have him not have to go to school. I wouldn't recommend university as a path anyway. Go straight into the workforce. Experience is the greatest teacher if you ask me. Wild fluctuations in Bitcoin prices are no longer a shock. In other words, and people are going into Bitcoin, people going into Bitcoin are now taking these volatility risks into account. 
I don't know why that's such a eureka moment for him. I don't, and that's it's always been the case. He says both currencies have price risk, but the price risk is hidden and even denied in the U.S. dollar, unlike with Bitcoin. He says for the first time in a long time and once again recommending an equity diversification strategy. He goes on to lay out some effective, obvious and effective stores of wealth. Physical gold and silver, I agree. Farmland with access to clean irrigation water, double plus good. Real estate, homes building land, yes, that's a physical commodity that will always have use no matter what the market's doing, especially if you own it yourself or if you need to use it yourself. Emergency supplies, antiseptics, stored food, self-defense items. Man, what a good currency and store of value is bullets and ammo, for real. Stock and viable companies which will increase in value after a currency collapse. It's a little bit riskier, but sure, if you own stock in a food production or food storage business, that might increase in stock. He finishes the article saying, although I can't say what's right for you, I've long thought that most people should consider holding about 10% of their wealth in precious metals and 20% in farmland. Farmland, folks. I personally think farmland is a better investment than Bitcoin because you can't eat your Bitcoin, but you can't grow food on your farmland. I think putting 5% or so into Bitcoin is a reasonable strategy at this point, as long as you understand the high volatility and price risk associated with such a move. Hmm. It's also important to recognize the additional accounting burden the IRS recently placed on Bitcoin by declaring it a share-like asset rather than a currency. Or you could just ignore the IRS. Your choice based on your risk factor. So that's the news. Good news. Mike Adams coming around. Many people are coming around. And again, big kudos to uh, the ex-head of the U.S. Mint, Mr. Moy, for his wonderful words. We're going to go ahead and close down this segment uh, talking about dark coin, ladies and gentlemen. The Dark Coin. Kind of like the Dark Knight. I don't know. I'm Batman. How True Anonymity Made Dark Coin King of the Altcoins. This is from Coindesk. If you haven't been watching, Dark Coin just recently upended Dogecoin and is now the third highest market cap of any other altcoin out there. Third highest, ladies and gentlemen. Creeping up on Litecoin. You better watch out, Litecoin. You better watch out, the younger brother of Bitcoin. You're going to get bullied by the Dark Coin, baby. If you're looking to conduct truly anonymous transactions, Bitcoin isn't the perfect digital currency to use. While personal identities are not shared via the Bitcoin network, it is still possible to identify wallet addresses and follow the transaction through the blockchain. It is? Oh my god, holy crap, what have I been doing? Just kidding. For real anonymous coin, you'll need to turn to Darkcoin, a digital currency launched in January that is storming the cryptocurrency scene with its pioneering energy-efficient mining algorithm and multifaceted identity-protecting features. At the time of this writing, one dark coin is worth $13 per coin, exceeding the price of Litecoin and nearly all other major altcoins on coinmarketcap.com. Let's go ahead and check out coinmarketcap.com. I don't know if you check out this website or not. It's really good. It's an awesome way to get informed. I remember looking at it a couple years ago and maybe about a year and a half ago and just seeing there weren't very many altcoins. Now there's pages and pages and pages and pages of these altcoins, Zimstake, Saturn Coin, CRT Coin, Bitcoin Script, Scheib Coin, there you go, Maza Coin, Fast Coin, D Notes, Diamond, Silk Coin, Red Coin, Bitbar, Memory Coin, Rye Coin, Micro Coin, Barbecue Coin, Coin, Sex Coin, hmm, yes please, Min Coin, Fedora Coin, Jackpot Coin, Exec Coin, the list goes on and on and on, but now you see rising to number three, Dark Coin, with a market cap of 58,371,812, trading for $13.51 a pop at the time of this recording, which is Friday, 7.10 p.m., May 23rd. The available supply is 4,319,860,000 dark, and the current volume is 7,261,830. Wow, it's up 21%. 
This thing just took a huge, sharp rise. It's just slowly starting to dip down a little bit. I suspect there'll be even more media about it uh, at the beginning of next week, and it'll keep on cruising. Of course, the market cap is determined by the number of the currency in supply times the price. You go ahead and do that math there. You got 58 million surpassing Purecoin. I said Dogecoin earlier. It's actually Purecoin. Dogecoin is chilling down there at number six. NXT is number five. And Purecoin is number four with 48 million. Darkcoin surpassed it by 10 million or so, 58,371. So let's dig a little bit deeper, learn a little bit more about Darkcoin. I think it's it's pretty cool that we have this particular uh, cryptocurrency that from the ground up is intrinsically anonymous. We actually have the option to make it anonymous or not. Checking out darkcoin.io. There's a cool little spot here on the about page. What is Darkcoin? Find out more about the first anonymous digital currency. Isn't Bitcoin anonymous, it asks? Well, it says the public ledger. All Bitcoin transactions are recorded in a public ledger called the blockchain. You send Bitcoin to another person or receive Bitcoin for a product or service. The transaction is available for anyone to see forever. They also say uh, pseudo-anonymous address. Bitcoin payments are made from pseudo-anonymous digital addresses. Your personal information is not linked to your digital Bitcoin address, but once you send Bitcoin to a third party, such as an exchange or a bank, your information becomes linked to your digital Bitcoin address. And even when you use some of these RoboCoin ATMs, your digital address is also linked to your biometrics and your palm print and your picture. Creepy. Big Brother is watching. He is everywhere. Transaction tracking. Once your personal information is linked to a digital Bitcoin address, the transparent blockchain allows anyone to track every one of your payments, determine your wealth, and find out your trading partners. The Bitcoin system allows anyone to be able to spy on every transaction you have ever made and will ever make. Man, there's some conspiracy theorists out there that are just really afraid of Bitcoin, thinking that it has the potential to turn into a cashless, global, one-world currency, tracking everything, everything you spend. And, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. But I think, thankfully, the crypto anarchists are way ahead on this one, and I don't think we have to worry about that. We should actually do a whole program because, you know, deep down inside of my heart of hearts, I am a, a conspiratorial advocate, advocating for the conspiratorial view of history. It'd be great to do a whole show just about Bitcoin conspiracies and talk to some of these conspiracy theorists out there and get deep into how the NSA did this and Chase Manhattan's patenting that and all that good stuff. Well... The website goes on, what makes Darkcoin different? We engineered Darkcoin to be a digital version of cash. When sending Darkcoin, you choose whether the transaction is private or public. Your Darkcoin are stored in a digital wallet that you own and control. Transactions are anonymous from the wallet, meaning you don't have to trust a third party to make the transaction private, like some of these mixing services that are out there. They use a technology called DarkSend, which is a... Uh, manifestation of, manifestation of coin join technology, which is also what the dark wallet uses, which is in in beta. You can check that out at darkwallet.is. Darkcoin's unique anonymous payment system, DarkSend, allows anyone to make transactions anonymously. The innovation is in the mixing of inputs and outputs going through the DarkSend system. A user's payment is automatically split into smaller denominations and pooled with the split-up payments of other users. Receivers of payments draw these denominations automatically from the pools until they have received the correct amount. Anyone viewing the blockchain will see payments being made, but they won't be able to see who paid who. I gotta tell you folks, just reading this is making me so nervous. I don't know what could happen if people were able to trade, just engage in transactions and exchange anonymously. 
I mean, the whole world could be flipped upside down. People could buy illicit drugs and use them and just hurt their bodies. People could avoid taxation. Oh my God, what are we going to do? This is the end of civilization as we know it. I kid, I kid, of course. Uh, I think Dark Coin's really exciting. I think it's exciting that it's exploding in price. And there's a story in Wired Magazine. Who knows what will be there next week. But Dark Coin really is another thing, just like Cody Wilson and Amir Takiki out of England and their Dark Wallet. They like to thumb their nose at the man. And I think Dark Coin is thumbing their nose at the man because exactly what the man was afraid of, they said about Bitcoin, which wasn't necessarily true. Got to do a few extra steps to make your Bitcoins pseudo-anonymous and, and anonymous, as we talked with uh, Christoph Atlas a few programs ago. But Darkcoin, at its core, allows you to have anonymous transactions and trades. So the regulators are probably shaking in their boots, but it just once again shows, like, sorry, regulators, there's nothing you could do about it. The technology is out of your league, and you're now being left in the dust. So thank you for everything you've done for us in the past, foreign wars of aggression, genocide, uh, legitimate fraud and coercion and taxes and just the really hindering the progress of human development. Thank you, monopolistic, terroristic organizations, entities like the state. You're going to be irrelevant soon. You're going down. You may think it's strange that I'm personifying a non-existent fictional entity like the state, but it's fun to do. And I'm enjoying it. And I enjoy this program. And I want to thank you. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for tuning in to the Sovereign BTC podcast. I want to remind you, you can check us out on letstalkbitcoin.com. You can find us on lrn.fm. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sovereignbtc. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash sovbtc. Remember to keep on rocking in the free world, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to move on, and as I promised at the beginning of the program, we're going to bring you some exclusive sneak peek clips, audio clips, from Sovereign Living Episode 4. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Sovereign Living Episode 4 was produced by the Center for Natural Living, a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. That's right, tax-exempt. Pretty cool, huh? And uh, the program is actually funded almost... A large part of the program is funded by Bitcoin. Half of Episode 4 is funded by Bitcoin. Episode 4 is all about alternative currencies with the predominant focus on Bitcoin. And we go to Porkfest, my family and I, to learn about alternative currencies, to learn about Bitcoin. We had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Voorhees, Dr. Robert Murphy, and Drew Phillips of Bitcoin Not Bombs. And I just want to throw this out there. I want to include this on this week's program because we're going to be traveling up to Porcupine Freedom Festival. I'm going to be bringing you live updates from the road to be included in the podcasts for the week on the Sovereign BTC show. But we're going to be premiering episodes five and six at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. We're also going to be airing episodes four. That's going to be Friday night. So if you're going to the Porcupine Freedom Festival, chances are a good chunk of you are. There's going to be about uh, probably like 1,300 to 1,500 people there, maybe more. Every year it goes up in number. This is the 11th annual Porcupine Freedom Festival. It's going to be just trolling. Nobody's going to be trolling, but it's going to be – maybe I should use a different word. It's going to be reaming – no, that's a terrible word there. What else do we got? It's going to be chock full of Bitcoin enthusiasts, activists, and advocates. So you will be in good company, ladies and gentlemen. That's the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Check it out at Porkfest. Dot com or freestateproject.org. You can learn more. I guarantee you it's probably going to be one of the funnest weeks of your life. And if you've never been before, it has the possibility to change your life, at least make you a little bit less statist and a little more towards the liberty side, which is 
what it's all about. Hey, you just learned the secret essence of the Sovereign BTC show to help people inch their way towards total freedom, 100% sovereignty for every human being that lives on this great earth. And hey, we might as well stretch to other animals as well. I don't know why we have this privileged sense as humans. I digress here. Let's go ahead and roll out the first clip, ladies and gentlemen. I'll introduce it. This is myself chatting with Dr. Robert Murphy, trying to get to the bottom of exactly what is value, which is a question that's difficult, especially when it pertains to Bitcoin. Here's a clip, a sneak peek, exclusive clip just for you from Sovereign BTC episode four, the Bitcoin episode, when I talk with Dr. Robert Murphy of the Mises Institute. So we caught up with Bob Murphy. He's a PhD economist, and we're going to talk to him about what value really means and why it's important for a local community, for families and individuals to have more control over the medium of exchange that they use in their local economic transactions. So, Bob, maybe you could start by just explaining uh, what exactly is value? How do we determine what is value, what's valuable in a market? Well, ever since the 1870s, economists subscribe to what's called a subjective value theory. Mm -hmm. And that just says that value is in the mind of the beholder, that the material objects don't have intrinsic value. Rather, it's just how people get usefulness out of the items. So, for example, crude oil used to be a nuisance. If you found the sticky stuff in your backyard, mm -hmm. you wouldn't want it. But mm -hmm. then when people determined how to use it to make uh, gasoline and so forth, now all of a sudden, that's a great thing to have. It's not that the oil changes, it's our ability to use it. Okay, so it's important that the value remains uh, subjective, and it's about what the needs and wants are of the people that are using the currency, right? Right, that's exactly right. That depending on what people want to do and their mental uh, abilities to figure out uses for the things, that's what determines the value of something. It's not in the object, it's in the mind of the people looking at it. First of all, what is the Federal Reserve Bank? Well, the Federal Reserve is this odd sort of private public thing that was created. It's technically owned by uh, private shareholders, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a cartel of banks effectively. Mm -hmm. And so it has supreme control over the banking system, and yet it's not actually an arm of the government. And so it's this odd thing that, you know, they technically can do what they want and just, if they want to, let Congress know what they're doing. And they have control of the m money supply, which is the single most important thing for the economy. Wow. And so they control how many dollars there are. What would you recommend for people that are looking to use a currency that allows them more control and more assurance that it's not going to be manipulated by someone else? Just like you wouldn't want to have the government in charge of making cars or making television sets or computers, you don't want to have the government in charge of the money. That's mm -hmm. a crazy system. Given that we're in that system, the way people can sort of opt out is to use alternative currencies if they can. Okay. The problem is you got to find other people willing to use those currencies yourself. But mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that people can do that, I think it should be explored. Well, what better place can we find other people that are looking to use alternative currencies than Porkfest and Agora Valley? So appreciate you talking to us about value. And I'm going to go find out a little bit more about alternative currencies and see if I can get my hands dirty using some. Okay, thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Bob. And now here's a clip of me chatting with Drew Phillips. Drew Phillips, of course, has been doing a lot of great work with Freedoms Phoenix. These guys were doing the dime card several years ago. It's a silver dime encapsulated in a little plastic laminated card you can keep in your wallet. On the front, it has a flashy picture, logo of your favorite organization or your business. And on the back, it has a little chart that shows what the dime is actually worth when silver is worth $20, $30, $40, $50. So it's pretty exciting. We chat with him. That's just another part of this episode, exploring alternative currencies. Without further ado, here's a conversation I had with Drew Phillips. That's part of Sovereign Living, Episode 4. 
We're here at Porkfest X, uh, exploring alternative currencies, wanting to learn more about alternatives to the Federal Reserve note, what value really means, and, and why these are valuable for communities. And I thought I'd stop by and talk to you. You've been doing a lot of work in the past few years encouraging people to use these alternative currencies, especially with the silver dimes. Uh, maybe just start by telling us what's, what's the big deal with these silver dimes? What's the difference from using a Federal Reserve note? Is there really that much of a difference? Well, yeah. Um, prior to 1964, uh, the currency of the United States had silver in it. It was a commodity-backed currency and there was silver in there and, and silver has a, a market value um, and these older dimes do have that store of value in them so they're a good medium of exchange in that sense. Dimes do make a good trade unit and people around here are certainly willing to feel what it's like to use honest money and, and have been trading with silver in various forms and different types that we've uh, been experimenting with. For most of its life, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, a highly valued precious metal that has enjoyed relative stability for centuries. In 1933, the FDR administration began confiscating the gold of U.S. citizens and no longer allowing them to redeem their dollars in gold. The final death blow to the gold standard in America came in 1971, when then-President Nixon barred foreign governments and foreign citizens from redeeming their dollars in gold. Since then, the U.S. dollar, also known as the Federal Reserve Note, has been a fiat currency, or a medium of exchange that's backed by no commodity. With nothing left to prevent central bankers and bureaucrats from debasing the currency, the Federal Reserve System has engaged in the endless printing of money, in turn reducing the value of the dollar. Well, thanks for chatting with me, Drew. Hey, thanks so much, John. Take it easy. All right, man. When I was done chatting with Drew, I went to look for Kat and the kids to grab some lunch. And are they $4 each? Uh, they are 5 each. And you're doing the silver dimes at $1.50 each? Yes, I will do that at $1.50. Okay. Real money for some real food. That's right. And finally, to end this little sneak peek, exclusive audio viewing. No, it's not a viewing, a listening, a listening, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a conversation I had with Eric Voorhees that's included in episode four. Definitely want you to check out episode four. You can check out episode one at SovereignLiving.tv. You actually have the opportunity to buy the DVD there. Uh, using BitPay, you can buy with Bitcoin. Of course, if you listen to this program, you're probably a Bitcoin holder. Send us your Bitcoin. We'll send you a DVD of episodes one through three. Includes uh, conversations on and explorations of how we can solve our common problems, neighbor disputes without relying on the police. And episode three is actually all about natural birthing, which you may not think has to do with Bitcoin, but it does, ladies and gentlemen. Keeping it natural, home birth, avoiding the centralized hospital institution, taking power into your own hands. It's what Bitcoin's all about. We chat with Eric Voorhees, and uh, that's going to go ahead and finish off the program here. Eric Voorhees, very inspirational, really like the way he communicates the message. There's one line that he says in there about it doesn't matter how many guns you have or how big the guns you have are, uh, you can't control Bitcoin. No governments, no gangs, no mafia tactics can shut it down. You can't beat the mathematics, ladies and gentlemen. This is the conversation I had with Eric Voorhees. It's featured in Episode 4 of Sovereign Living the Show. Be sure you check it out at Porkfest coming up the end of June. Porkfest, number 11. Here it is, folks. I met up with Eric Voorhees from Coinapult to try to unravel the mystery of Bitcoin. Let's just start by asking, what exactly is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the, uh, the most successful and largest uh, digital currency or alternative currency in the world. Mm -hmm. um, basically, it's just a, a commodity that is digital, and it allows any two people to send and receive uh, the, the currency unit between themselves without any central party being in control. There's no bank behind it. There's no government behind it. Uh, there's no corporation behind it. It is an open source uh, software uh, that anyone can use for any purpose whatsoever. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer cryptocurrency. 
It uses cryptography, or the solving of complex math equations, to ensure there is no fraud or the same money is not being spent twice. Because there is no central authority, no one can manipulate the money supply by inflating the currency. The security of Bitcoin is distributed throughout the system. More importantly, Bitcoin allows for peer-to-peer -peer exchanges, meaning I can send money to a business or friend directly without having to go through a bank, corporation, or other middleman. Not needing to rely on central institutions is a key component of sovereign living. I'm really excited to learn more. The laws of mathematics cannot be broken by government. No matter how many guns you pull, you can't change a math equation. And Bitcoin uses that essential principle to build a money system. So I can send you Bitcoin, and no party, no matter how violent they are, can ever prevent me from doing that. It's a direct from me to you, uh, using cryptography, using mathematics, uh, and no, no government or bank can prevent it. So how would I go about using Bitcoin? Bitcoin uh, can be very easy. So basically you can use it with nothing but a, a smartphone. Okay. Um, so you just have your phone, you go to the App Store if you're on, on Apple or the Android App Store, and you can download one of many uh, Bitcoin wallet apps. Mm -hmm. And uh, with a Bitcoin wallet app, you've now made an account. And once you have that, anyone can send you Bitcoin from anywhere in the world without anyone else having a say in the matter. I'm really excited to hop on board the Bitcoin train. Time to make a quick exchange, turning my Federal Reserve notes into Bitcoins. I know just the place to make my first purchase. George Mandrick. Hey, what's up, John? How are you? Good to see you, man. Man, I love your food. I hear you accept Bitcoin, too. Oh, yeah, man. Whole week. We've been taking right. it. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, let me get a Boner Joe, then. All right, dude. You want a Boner Joe? Yeah. It's a plate of gyro meat, you know. You, oh. you that hungry? I'm, yeah, I'm down. All right, dude. Boner so, Joe. Uh, this is my first Bitcoin transaction. I got a blockchain set up on my yeah, phone, yeah, yeah. so I'm interested to set it out. Will I just scan this QR yeah, code? Yeah, I got a QR code here. I got a QR code up there. You can go right. scan whichever one you work. All right, cool. Here we go. All right, I'll put this in. Hey, Tracy, I got a boner for John. Don't we all? Well, this has been a fun program. Felt a little goofy here, probably because I'm sitting here in my studio towards the end of the day. I don't know why I had so much fun with this one. Probably because life is good. That's why. Life is good. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that Bitcoin is sitting around $520 at the time of this recording. How's that for some excitement, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, you've been anxious. People have been get, maybe getting a little bored with Bitcoin. It's been chilling at 440 450 Not very exciting. People maybe thought, oh, maybe the price has stabilized. Is this the true market price of a Bitcoin? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, up to 500. Everyone started thinking, it's so glorious. Is it going to keep on going? Is it going to keep on going? Now it's at 520. It's gone up almost $100 in just like two or three days, folks. That's pretty exciting. I just want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into the program. This has been Sovereign BTC. Number 17, we brought you some news, we brought you some views, and then we brought you an exclusive sneak peek audio clip from Sovereign Living Episode 4. Again, check out SovereignLiving.tv. So I'm going to go ahead and close it down with something I do every single show. Yes, it's one of my favorite traditions. Now tell me, Hank, why do you drink to get drunk? Why do you smoke? You know why. And why do you say this at the end of every show? Well, I'm just carrying on. A Bitcoin family tradition. So without further ado, use Bitcoin, live free, and prosper. Peace. I'm out.